Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. Good morning. This is Greg Hutchins. Hey, Greg. You know, I've been working on the webinar stuff that we do um, to help people find topics by various things. And part of that process is I'm going back to all of our old podcasts and webinars that are related to the webinar series and moving them to a different structure. And part of that structure is related content. So I do a quick search and say, oh, this project, this this, uh, topic is on risk management. So I type in risk management and I get you know, stuff that's available on the site. And I kind of pick through going, oh, these would be useful extra things to add there. And one of those searches was on projects and and, uh, project management or something related to that. And I ran into a whole sequence of John Ayer's articles um, on the CIRM Risk Insights that that you host and run and manage and that we we pull some of the articles onto Ascendo. Well, there happened to be a whole series of them uh, from John that caught my attention. And at the as they came through over the years, I didn't recognize this pattern yet. So one of them was subcontractor risk is a major reason for project failures. And then the next one in my search queue is quality risk is a major reason for project failures. And then it was cost risk. Um, and then it was schedule risk. And what's in, yeah. And then it goes into lessons learned in my search queue. But what struck me was there's a lot of ways a project can fail. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of ways. And in my world, it's, you know, we talk about reliability plans and all that stuff. And I've experienced plenty of failures uh, for all kinds of reasons. When I look at products and systems in the field, I dare say there's an infinite number of ways they can fail and some more prevalent than others. Yet I, what the thread through John's articles was, I think is your risk management influence on them is, you know, you got to take care of those variables. You got to take care of those details. You got to think through well, what could go wrong and what do I do to to deal with that or prevent it? Yeah. So you want me to pick up on that? Sure. So, boy, that's interesting. In general, 70% of projects fail. Fail to meet cost, quality, or schedule. Normally, those are the triple constraints. Yeah. Cost, schedule, quality. Quality sometimes is called scope. Now, what does the failure mean? The failure means not meeting a target. Uh, and, you know, the target can be a budget target, it can be a schedule yeah. target, it can be whatever. But any deviation from that is a risk. Well, that's, and that's the problem. it was one of the things I ran into early on when I was, you know, working with project managers and, and on their team, basically. And I says, well, where does the schedule come from and budget come from and stuff? Well, those are all guesses to actually make this work. And, you know, but if we don't have a target, it's really hard to know if you made it or not. <laughs> and it also helps us make decisions as we go through and trade-offs and stuff like that. And he kind of explained it all that way. But you're talking about, you know, 
assuming that those are the things you really want to achieve, and let's say you have a client that says, hey, I want this airport up and running by October 1st, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or you don't get paid, you know, that would be a, a pretty serious target. Um, there's what you're talking about, though, is that those are, there's a, any deviation from that is a risk. That's right. Yeah. So that was the genesis of our discussions with John uh, several years ago. Any deviation from something that's agreed upon contractually or yeah, contractually can be a risk. Mm-hmm. So let's say cost risk. If you're over budget because of uh, change orders, that's a risk to your budget. If you're under budget, well, chances are <laughs> you, know, you basically underbid the job or, um, you know, um, did a good job and didn't know it or the risk that you hallucinated didn't materialize. And... <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it's the same thing with quality. Um, so the idea behind that this type of project management is you come up with your targets. You know, they come up with your smart objectives, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, and then essentially you meet them. If there's any deviation, that's a risk. Now, it can be a positive risk like you're under a budget, or it can be a negative risk, meaning you're over budget through change orders. So that was the thinking behind that, because the thesis was all project management, all product management, quite frankly, all quality management comes down to risk. If you got a deviation from a target or specification, that's a risk. So one of the things I find underlies the number of those articles and also my own experience is that, you know, here's my targets. October 1st for a million dollars, get this done. Mm -hmm. And somebody says, oh, well, I I need 50 engineers. I need this much time. I need this, you know, kind of technology. We need, my favorite was the project manager saying, oh, and we need three uh, innovative innovations in in brand new patentable type things in order to make this work. He's like, we just Uh need to come up with those. Well, what problem are you trying to solve? Oh, we just budget for three <laughs> patent applications. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> well, part of it is, is in, and this is a true story. I was in, in the Army in Europe, and um, it's peacetime, and we're doing this big exercise. Uh, and some general standing up with this massive wall map of like all of Northern Europe kind of thing. And he just kind of waves his hand across it and says, and then we're going to go this way. And his hand sweep is like 600 miles. And there's 20,000 of us, you know, like, all right. And I'm a supply officer going, well, that's a lot of gas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be running tankers all all week, you know, trying to keep the fleet, our group running and and supplied in diesel and food. And he didn't talk about any of the details. He says, we want to get it done by October 1st, you know, for this budget. And I'm like, ah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, at that point, he's counting on all these other people work out the details. When I see a, a project, you know, like creating an iPhone or a widget or stuff like that, there's almost always somebody up there that's the general. He's like, oh, we need it before our next product launch, you know, date kind of thing. All right. Well, you can have about 40,000 different things that need to happen between here and there and they have to happen right and there's a lot of details that are delegated or relegated or ignored and 
that's what partly keeps reliability engineers in business is that we pick the wrong component or this supplier is unable to meet the, the specifications for this molded part or, you know, on and on and on. And it's, it's kind of, we try to get as many details as we can. We just can't plan for all the details. Um, and I see that as a, a big source of failures is that we can't afford to go into the weeds on every single thing yet. Which ones do you do? And we don't pay enough attention to pay, to finding out what's the highest risk to our program or to our project or our design. Um, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it. Cause it's one of these I've run into a number of times and it came to light when I saw all these articles from John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you bring up a, a lot of good points. So one of the things we used to do uh, would be, we would have a hand waiver, normally some type of executive who mm -hmm. said, let's take that mountain, let's take that hill, whatever. Yep. <laughs> and the NCO, some sergeant has to basically make it happen to use, you know, your military analogy. Yep. And what happens, and this is unfortunately, I became a death march manager. I'd had a boss who was a hand waver, you know, take that hill, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was my job to get it done on budget, on schedule, within acceptable quality limits. And, you know, you, that's what happens at that point is you have to actualize those orders to take that hill, organize people, get the resources, you know, make sure you've got enough suppliers, yep. you know, the type of suppliers to provide things just in time, hopefully. Yeah. You know. yeah. And you're talking about, in one of our previous talks, you were talking about uh, specialized welders. It was kind of, it was <laughs> the hand waivers going, oh, we're going to do this. And it's like, you know, boss, we need a whole bunch of these people that don't exist right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's a problem, boss. <laughs> I remember that one because uh, we needed um, uh, welders for an LNG plant who could weld 304 stainless. There was nobody in North America, so we had to go up to Alaska Pipeline to pick these up. So the thing that irked me is I'm the PM on the job mm -hmm. building this. I'm making X amount of money. We have to go up to Alaska, up to Prudhoe Bay to hire these guys. Again, stainless steel welding, mm -hmm. percent inspection, and uh, you know um, they're making three times as much as I am. Yeah, and they know they're valuable because <laughs> you can't find anybody else like us. And <laughs> exactly right, and that's what's happening with a lot of AI projects right now. You can't find these people. Oh, I heard somebody was offering a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars signing bonus to join their AI startup or something like that. They just couldn't find the people. It's similar to what we we're talking about in the last episode is that somebody that actually knew what goes on under the hood. They, yep. You know, it's just they just can't find them. Well, there's not that many people that really get it. So they command a lot. Yet the 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 issue is is that at the start of the project is yeah, here's what we want to do when I get this this plant up and running. The details is, is that we're using this material. Well, wait a second. You know, your first welder walks up to us. I don't weld that stuff. <laughs> I can't do that. I I can try. You know, well, send me to class. Yeah, I don't have the ticket to, yeah. to weld either. Um, so the idea that you know, going back to Ayers, John Ayers, his idea of good project management was come up with targets for scope, technology, quality, and 
schedule mm-hmm. that are deliverable, you know, hard deliverables. Uh, you agree with everybody. They set that up. And then from there, you build up your schedule and your cost for the project. But again, any deviation from that plus is an opportunity minus, well, if it's cost, you know, any, you know, minor, uh, you know, if you're under cost, that's an opportunity. If you're over budget, over cost, that's a risk to you. But the idea was any deviation or variation from that set target that everybody agreed on was a risk. That's the, that was the premise to what his articles were all about. Now, what I need to, I should send John an art note saying, why don't you continue this series is that, you know, the, and he talked a bit about quality and it, it touches on what I would call the, the, is that it's hard to measure. Now the, is it in spec? Is the green light come on when you push the button? Those kinds of things, quality can measure real well. Yet I have run into quality departments that will, that they tagged the engineering specifications with all of the things that they could measure. And they said, well, in order for us to sign off and launch this product, it has to meet all of these requirements unless you officially change them, you know, go through mm-hmm. the process to do it and all that stuff. And I was then worked over to the, where's, what's the reliability requirements? And they had a pretty clear definition of what they wanted for the reliability for this particular product, this system. And it was well spelled out and specified. And there was no tag on it. So I went over to the quality manager and said, why, why aren't you measuring this? And he says, well, we don't know how. <sighs> okay. So you only do things you know how to measure. That's right. So all the important stuff like that, it actually works for more than a day. You can't, you're not going to measure that. <laughs> and he kind of gave me one of these looks of like, yeah. Why are you here? And he says, because your products fail in the field forever. You know, they don't last very long and you're losing market share and all the other things because nobody's paying attention to whether it works more than one day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, how do I measure reliability? And then we had a useful conversation. So when you just listed all of these things to set up targets, it's, they're all measurable. And I run into that in project after project after projects. It's, you know, it's got to have so many RPM or it's got to have so much pressure or it's got to do this or do that. We can measure those on the bench today. But when it comes to, will the customer like it after six months of use, will it still be working after six months of use? Those are much more difficult to measure. They can be. And they don't pay for it. Yeah. And they don't want to pay for it. Or they didn't know how. I've run into teams that would like to do it. They just didn't know how to approach that problem and and didn't spend the time or energy. They hired me to help them, which is a step forward, I guess. Yet there's plenty of teams I've run into in other circumstances, not as a consultant, where they they just chose not to measure it. (laughs) So quick story. I was in charge of a large quality procurement program for a billion-dollar company. And uh, they'd outsource the entire function to my company. So there was a little piece of aluminum that was being used as a spacer. And uh, I suggested we do chemical reliability, physical type of testing on it. They asked me for a quote. This is about 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. I gave them a quote for 11,000. Most of it, by the way. It's very reasonable. And we would farm it out essentially. You know, so our... Our margin on that was about 1200 bucks. The rest of it would go to, tr- to labs. Mm-hmm. Company said, no, we don't want to do it. We've had it a long time. 
uh, it's, you know, it's trusted. And oh, by the way, we know the vendor and he's one of us. That's the operative word. <laughs> we know the vendor. We so sourced it. And here's a retired employee. And I said, OK, fine. Anyway, two years later, we had failures, very expensive failures. The failures, I don't want to be very specific. But anyway, the failures cost the company $24 million. Yeah. Lots of litigation. Yeah, that 12000 sounds pretty reasonable now. <laughs> yes, but the problem is they decided not to. And I kept a, <laughs> I kept emails, you know, saying that because uh, hey. they wanted to put it on me, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, which may basically would mean that even 20, uh, what, 12 years later, I still would be paying for the litigation. But anyway, I had an audit trail. But the point is that companies do not want to pay for certain things. You know, and there's some something rational about that is, and I've run into some quality and reliability folks like this. This team that was tagging everything they could measure, mm-hmm. vast majority of those, you know, if they would have done the measurements, you know, as the CPK kind of measurement, some of those were ten plus CPK. Was, the, the useless. Yeah, the, 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 this molded part comes out of a mold. You're not making enough to wear out this mold. You know, it's the chance that it's going to be two inches out of spec is really, really small. <laughs> so don't worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> and put all, instead, they had calipers out and they're measuring all these parts and, and tracking all these numbers and seeing, you know, if it's in spec. And then they only did in spec or out of spec. They, they did just a binary they didn't bother to they're taking you know length width measurements and they're not using that that data well all kinds of stuff like that but the idea was is they spent a lot of time measuring things they could measure because they could and instead of saying well we need to really understand these three parts that are on the edge that we're not real sure that we can make correctly and if they fail it's a serious consequence they didn't focus deep on anything that was marginal or had real potential to cause serious problems with their product. That they just, that mindset of, but the logic is, is that you really, I mean, I don't even think NASA does this is go into the excruciating detail of capability and, and, and measurement systems and longevity studies in chemical analysis over you know, 25 years for every single nut and bolt and component and everything else. And they probably do more than most people do in some projects, I imagine. Yet I'm thinking of a, I I once heard that a helicopter is 10,000 randomly assorted components flying in formation. (laughs) 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 You know, and I also saw an FMEA in a military project that they studied, they they listed every single rivet, every single rivet location, not just a rivet style or length or type of rivet that it was. It was every location on the aircraft. And like, well, are all rivets equally important on the aircraft? No. Well, what's the probability of failing of the most critical ones? Oh, they're over here on page nine hundred and sixteen. You know. Why did you bother looking at any of the other ones? So the the ability to use engineering judgment and say, these are the important things, has the risk that we're going to miss something. 
in juxtaposition position to that is that we really rarely can afford to check everything and all the way through our entire supply chain all the way back. So the hard part for me is that when you're making a plan, you know that some of these details are more important than others. To me, it's focused on those. And then at other times is that part of the plan has to account for, we're going to learn something we didn't know and we got to deal with it. You know, our supplier, supplier, supplier changed something and now it makes a difference. And I see too many plans that assume that the design is perfect and the suppliers are perfect and will everything will be perfect and there's no contingencies at all. And then it's all hands on deck emergency mode when something different happens. So, so do you realize you're talking risk language? Now? No, I know. You've been an influence on me. I, I didn't say good influence. You've been a risky influence on me. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what happens. You've got a hand waver who says, I want this to happen. Looks at the project manager or program manager like me and says, make it happen. And if you're experienced, you know where to focus your attention. Mm -hmm. Critical few versus the insignificant many. And that takes 10, 15, 20 years experience to know what to focus on. And our world, the risk world, will have a company with 10,000, 20, 30,000 risks, you know, in their register, right? Mm -hmm. And they're treating all of them the same when really they should be focusing on the 1%, not the, not the, not, not even doing a Pareto. They should be focusing on the one, 1% 1 critical ones, yeah. but they don't have the expertise or the knowledge, or they don't ask the right questions or don't recognize the assumptions to the analysis. They plug them through these big engines, right? These software engines or mm -hmm. calculation engines but they're looking at the wrong things, treating everything similarly. And that's basically maturity. And of course, fear, uh, fear from that hand waving boss. Of yours, <laughs> <right? Yeah. laughs> he says, get it done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With the opposite thing of it's your job if you don't. <laughs> yeah. It, well, there's not much to do about, you know, the experience It's it's, I think even a brand new program managers is, coming in with experience with engineering knowledge and, and technical knowledge and planning knowledge and stuff like that. Part of it is, is, um, you know, well, I have to agree with you, Greg, it's looking at it from a risk perspective is, you know, if this fails, so what, why do I, will anybody care and vice versa? But that's hard. I agree that it's hard without a lot of experience of having done multiple projects. You know, if the cement truck doesn't show up today, well, we we're okay. We're going to deal with it tomorrow. Um, in a more, in my world is when I'm working with a team saying, what's your reliability plan? And you got how many components do you have and subsystems and so on? We're going to apportion it out. All right. It's prudent to keep some portion of that budget on the side. Get, and not assign it to one of your components, making it easier for everybody to, to achieve it. And same with budget. You know, there's got to be a little bit of extra money just in case. And if it's a, keep it in the background because something will happen. Um, 
and I didn't, doesn't take a lot of experience to know that, you know, I go on a bike ride, I take a spare tire with me, inner tube with me because in a way to inflate it, the chance of me getting a flat tire on a, a road bike is reasonably high. <laughs> so it, <laughs> maybe it's just my, you know, but it's most riders put a spare tire on their bike and take it with them mm-hmm. um, or spare inner tube. In my world, in reliability world, it's it's what are the risks and what are the big risks that we need to account for, and then and then it's a whole different subject as well. How do we go about dealing with that? But I think the basic basic message is you can't deal with all the details, yet you have to pay attention to the important ones, and that's risk management, that's prioritization. Uh, well articulated, much better than I could. You hit it right <laughs> on the button. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Greg, I learn something every day. So just, you know, we've been talking for a while. So, but anyway, if you got a, if you're listening to this, and and you know, if you've got, you know, a way to avoid hitting one of those surprises in your plans, and and you know, the hand waivers implementation, all this other stuff we're talking about here, how do you deal with it? Let us know. Or if you got a question about how do you get this experience, and how do you learn from what other people have done. Well, good start is go see John's articles. That's that'd be a, a starting place. But head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. There's a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Greg and I and the other hosts of the shows are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. In the meantime, I hope your plans go well and you have covered all the important details. So, you know. We'll leave it with that. All right. Thanks so much, Greg, for entertaining this discussion. It was on my mind after seeing all those articles. So I knew you knew, knew about them. Well, I just I just have two words. Make money. Keep smiling. Bye-bye. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Talk to you later. You bet, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.